Welcome to the Property CEO Podcast, your inside track to the world of property with your hosts, Ian Child and Richie Clapson. Hello and welcome to the Property CEO Podcast. My name's Ian Child and I'm here with Richie Clapson. Hello, everybody. And according to my show notes, in this rather worryingly named episode, Richie's going to be sharing his expertise on the subtle art of stripping. Uh, have I got that right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is going to be a no holds barred strip fest. I'm going to leave nothing uncovered. Fantastic. Well, that should be. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, quite exciting. Are you, are you planning to, to go the whole way? Oh, absolutely. I think people need to get a handle on this stuff. Great. Uh, well, I, I suppose if I had to choose any medium in which you and stripping were compatible, podcasting would uh, would probably be it. Although I'm rather concerned that this is, you know, it's it's quite a confined space. Is there any chance I could dial in? What? I mean, do you need Matt to kind of pipe in some, some stripping music to, you know, get you in the mood? Perhaps I could just step outside whilst you... You do it and, and, you know, come back afterwards. What are you going on about? Anyway, look, I'm going to be giving everyone five secrets on how to strip out a building and, of course, how to conduct a site investigation. Right. Well, I'm uh, well, sure that's a, a massive relief all round. It certainly is for me. But before we get to that, perhaps you could share with everyone uh, what you've been up to this week. Well, I've been enjoying the fruit of our labours following our recent office move, if I'm honest. Yeah, it all, all went really well, I think, didn't you? Yeah, I think it was good. I mean, it did. But I have to say, it did throw up a few interesting points. Okay, like uh, like what? Well, it made me realise that uh, the world is made up of uh, practical people uh-huh. and not so practical people. Right. And then, almost right at the other end of the scale, you have a chocolate fire guard. Okay. And then, just beyond that, there's you. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, uh, you know, don't beat about the bush. Well, you no, get it no. off your chest if you want to. Let it all hang out. What's uh, what's uh, what's brought this on? I thought the whole office move thing was a bit of a team effort, if I'm honest. Well, that's one way of looking at it. But I think uh, I think your skill set is not particularly aligned with anything remotely practical. Okay. Um, I think I, I can see exactly where this is going. You're, you're lording it up because you think you managed to build a bookcase quicker than <laughs> I did. That's about the size of it, isn't it? Well, what do you mean? I think I did. Actually, I did do it miles quicker. Okay, well, let me just explain. Some of the, the furniture that one of us ordered for this office move uh, arrived flat-packed. So we had to put it together. So these offending items are basically two bookcases. So I built one yeah. and you built the other. And for some reason, one of us has an insanely competitive streak and decided that he would turn it into a who could build a bookcase the quickest race. And and I won, hands down, didn't I? Well, hold on a second. Let's just, uh, let's just look at the facts, shall we? What facts? I was quicker. End of story. OK, well, fact number one, you only told me it was a race after, you, <laughs> after you'd <laughs> finished building yours. So? Well, it's not technically a race then, is it? How can it be a race if one of the protagonists doesn't actually know he's in a race? And then there's, there's point number two. Basically, you cheated. How can you cheat building a bookcase? Well, you'd be surprised, wouldn't you? I didn't think you could. But when it came to your office, uh, I came into your office afterwards and, and you'd finished. And I couldn't help noticing that the place was completely strewn with power tools. And? Well, that's cheating. 
You might as well have hired someone to build it for you. At least I built mine the honest way. That would be the slow manual way, would it? With a screwdriver? Although I couldn't help noticing that there was a lot of banging coming from your end of the office during your build. So? Well, the instructions said you only need to use a screwdriver, not a hammer. Or were you, uh, you know, having a few issues working out which end of the screwdriver to use? <laughs> no, no. I had a, a slight technical issue at one point with, with one of the screws, issue. which required the use of, uh, of an American screwdriver. That's all. <laughs> yeah, what? You mean a hammer? Exactly. Anyway, what was I saying? <laughs> yes, so you, you didn't tell me it was a race, oh. and you cheated by using you electronic knew. aids. And then to cap it all, about two hours after you said you'd finished yours... I come in to find you on your hands and knees fiddling about with the shells. So technically, you were still building it. That That's total rubbish. I was just chamfering something. <laughs> <laughs> really? I don't recall there being any chamfering uh, in the instructions. Yeah, well, no, 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 there wasn't. But I'm just a perfectionist. Anyway, you know, you're just trying to detract from the fact that you had to get my help to finish yours because you built it wrong. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. Let's be perfectly clear about something here. I mean, in my bookcase... The factory had, well, they drilled some holes in the wrong piece of wood. (laughs) And then to cap it all, they'd forgotten to drill some other holes in another piece of wood. So it was was like a a double double whammy. Luckily, (laughs) I had the technical ability to kind of take a step back, reevaluate the situation, and then obviously kind of pivot. Pivot? Sorry, don't you mean panic? <laughs> Begins with P, so it's probably similar. You basically took a step back, and then you took about another 15 steps back until you ended up in my office asking me to bail you out. <laughs> which, at which point, uh, I pointed out that you've mixed up the two pieces and put them in the wrong place. No, 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 no. no. no I, I pivoted. Basically, I simply worked out that if I swapped the two bits of wood around... I could get around the problem, which is, you know, exactly what I did. Anyway, my bookshelf was natural wood, whilst yours was painted, uh, which which would have made mine obviously more more difficult to assemble. What what painted bookcases go together easier? Do they? Absolutely, well known fact. So uh, so all things told, I think it was probably an honourable draw. Well, if that's what you want to think, then you just go for it. But I know you're going to be useless at DIY before you even get started. What? How can you know how good I am at DIY before I've done any? Because the state of your toolbox. What's wrong with my toolbox? Only two things. Firstly, it's about the size of an eight-year-old sandwich box. And secondly, it looks like it's just out of the cellophane. <laughs> did you did you buy it on the way to the office? Or did you get to maybe get it out of a cracker or something for Christmas? You know, if I half expected you to pull out a little Meccano hammer. <laughs> but you see, you've fallen into the same trap that so many people uh, fall into. I bring only the tools necessary for the job. And I look after them. So they're, you know, they're like new. That's because they are new. <laughs> Whereas you bring in about 500 skanky toolboxes and you leave a trail of destruction all over the place, it's all about being efficient. You see, it's because you're a structural engineer by trade. You think that the the more dirty tools you have, the more practical a person you are. It's like um, a competition as to to who can have the the, the largest number of tools and also the, the grubbiest, whereas the smart workman only brings the tools he needs. Not even remotely true. At least I wasn't the one that put on a hard hat and a high-fizz jacket to build a bookcase. Was that really necessary? Or was it based on your previous experience of building a bookcase, where you expected a truck to mow you down just whilst you're in your office building? Is that what it was all about? Well, 
You can never be too careful. I've seen a, a few DIY mishaps over the years in my time. Yeah, presumably because you've been there yourself when they've happened. <laughs> anyway, look, let's just say it was lucky that everything else we ordered arrived pre-built. Otherwise, I think uh, you know we may have stretched your DIY skills to breaking point. Well, I'm quite happy leaving you to do all the manual labouring tasks in the business. It suits me down to the ground. But uh, let's forget about DIY for a second, shall we? Uh, and instead, start talking about what we've uh, we've really come here to discuss, which is is uh, well your long-awaited stripping secrets <laughs> okay let's uh, let's have a look okay well i think what i'll do today let's i want to talk about yeah stripping but we want to talk about stripping out uh, a project an existing building in a refurbishment contract okay so if you're taking an existing building uh, one of the things you've got to do at some point is is strip out all the old finishes and see what the building's really made of, what sort of condition it's really in. Because if you can imagine, you go into, say, an old office building, less so with an industrial building, but often they, they do have finishes still. But you've got the wall finishes. You've got painted plasterboard, maybe over the, over the top of block work or some framing or something. You've got ceiling tiles quite often in these things, floor finishes, built-in cupboards. You know, what's behind all these things? That's what you want to see. Because if you're doing a fairly major alteration in a project, you need to see the real structure and the condition of that structure. Right. So it's really important to go in and get a project stripped out. And what I want to talk today about and touch on is the sort of benefit of doing what we call a two-stage contract. And a two-stage is where you go in and strip out, this is on a refurbishment contract, uh, to start with. And then you expose everything that you've got. You expose the whole condition. Um, and then it enables you to design the project with that information in hand. Okay. So, you know, we're trying to find things like hidden details that you maybe don't know exist. We're going to go through those. Poor workmanship or maybe deteriorated material stuff that's gone rotten over the years. Uh, and how does this implicate the scheme? So we're going to talk about the scheme implications of it. How does it implicate the cost? So we're going to talk about cost implications of it. And then really importantly, which goes hand in hand with cost, but how does it implicate the program? So we're going to go, go through those five areas today. Now, okay. You know what is what is strip out uh, in a two stage contract, and what what am I talking about when I'm talking about two stage? Well, quite often in a traditional route, you just appoint a contractor uh, under one contract to go in, strip out the building, and produce all the new works in there. But because perhaps no one stripped the building out, that contractor is going to price in risk, and risk costs you money. So he's going to price in there some additional cost because if you're asking him to do a fixed price lump sum, which ideally you might be to you know to to control your project, he's going to go in there. Uh, he's going to price that risk because if he opens stuff up, now that's his problem. If he doesn't price in the risk, the implications you've got, which we're going to talk about in program, is that he opens it up and then you find stuff that you never expected, he's then got to go back to you and the design team and ask for instructions, and there's possible additional cost and delays and stuff that comes in there. Right. So this is all about um, maybe letting an initial contract, just one contract to start with, with a contractor, could be your preferred contractor you might want to do the main project, and get him to strip out the building. Just 
gut it, take all the finishes out back to the bare structure, and then you can see what you've got. And would you say that there was an advantage in using the same contractor to do stage one and stage two? Yeah, definitely there is. If you can do that now, I mean, we we've got. I mean, the last two projects we've done, actually, we did the, we did the two opposites. One, we actually used the same contractor, uh, and then his price was suitable to strip it out. On the second one that I'm just talking about, interestingly enough, uh, the contractor who did the strip out, who might have been favourable, actually went bust. Right. <laughs> so, you know, unfortunately that happened. He, he wouldn't have been guaranteed the project, but he would have been on the list. Um, but he actually closed down, closed the business down. Right. So uh, we've now got an additional ca- contractor in there, a new contractor. The benefit of having the same contractor is when they strip it out, you know, they're gaining all that knowledge. So they're electricians, they're plumbers who are coming in and stripping it out, and they're, they're maybe that one of their foreman has got familiarity with the building so then they understand it more and they're able to price it a lot more comprehensively right that makes sense so let's have a look at it let's go through as i said the five points but let's first of all uh, pick up sort of hidden details what do i mean by hidden details well what could be hiding behind walls now you might think well, well walls are walls well they're not always they're often they're false walls or they're stud walls so a lot of walls we're looking at the finished surface which is a, a plasterboard maybe painted finish uh, if you're looking at domestic type properties they could be papered and you know when you actually take down that plasterboard you're going to see what's behind it now it could be behind there uh, there is just a straightforward blockwork wall and it's done what's called like dot and dab so it's actually stuck on the wall the plasterboard with some some plaster dabs mm-hmm. or it could actually be um, you know some battens so it's screwed to some battens and then screwed to the wall it could be there's quite a big void so you might find actually when you take off the plasterboard for some reason the wall has been boxed out uh, maybe someone's got it to line up at some point maybe something you know someone altered something to some at some point in the in the building's life uh, and we found projects where we've got completely false walls and we might have got maybe another foot of width on a room and I remember uh, last year we did a project where we actually found an old staircase, didn't we? We did. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we found and an uncovered a complete staircase. So sometimes, and we're going to talk about some of the benefits of finding some of those things in a minute. But, uh, you know, th- yeah, we opened a wall up. We, we knew there was a void. We knew there was something behind it. And we took down a wall. And behind that wall was an existing staircase, which ultimately we used. So behind walls, you can often find stuff. And if you find a bit of extra space, a bit of extra width, uh, that can be really important, particularly when you're trying to squeeze in an extra flat. Now, of course, if you don't know that and you just let one contract, you know, you're, you're not going to gain the benefit of that because it's often too late to change when you're actually building thing out because you've actually designed everything through. Whereas a strip out contract gives you a chance to go back and amend your design. So a few extra, you know, millimeters here or there can really help. I think we were on we were on site yesterday, weren't we, when we were looking at uh, a, ver- a, a flat that was around about 30 square meters and um, there was an option there to actually remove uh, a chimney breast. Yes, yes. And, and that would have potentially made the difference between the flat being 29 and a half square meters uh which is below the threshold that most mortgage companies will end against so yes, yeah. that's a consideration it may seem like a, a big expense to to actually claw back a meter of, of area but actually if it makes a difference between your flats being mortgageable or not then that can make a difference because it makes difference. them it makes them sellable or Absolutely. not sellable uh, but of course the you know removing a chimney breast can be quite expensive where sometimes you're actually just removing a bit of wall or stub walling you actually find you've got that space and no need to remove the chimney breast because you can build it up elsewhere 
Uh, floors are often an area and as often a lot of buildings have false floors or perhaps false ceilings sometimes they're called double floors uh, I've worked on a lot of projects over the years where we've actually found two floors someone's built a brand new floor over the existing and then there's a void sometimes of a couple of feet so you've actually got a huge amount of extra volume there often an extra floor now that there can be advantages in that you know that can help you because you could take one floor out and you've got a bit of extra volume back there can also be problems there because you've got to fire protect voids so if you've got a big void in a building it might be that you've got to do some additional fire protection or, or additional sound protection because voids particularly from a fire perspective can be real problematic so you've got to find these things out because if you don't know that and that comes in during the program time during, during the main works because it was a single stage contract uh, then you could have additional costs coming in and delay lays whilst you're trying to sort these things out right you know old buildings get massively altered over the years and i think that's something you you, you need to realize even your professional team you know whilst they're, they're pretty experienced at this your architects and, and engineers they don't always know quite what's happened to that building they might have looked at historic drawings but it's actually when you strip it out they can really see what's actually happened uh, another great thing you can often find is old fireplaces particularly in domestics you know you can you've got a, a, a you wouldn't necessarily sometimes know there was a chimney breast there because it's been boarded completely flat but you actually take it down and you find quite an old fireplace which you can reuse you know if you're going to keep it as a domestic mm. type property even if you're not using the uh, the fireplace itself you know the chimney uh, it can be a nice feature it can just be a nice visual feature so hidden details um are, you know they're all over an existing building so stripping them out gives you a real chance to find these things the pluses and the minuses the problems and the advantages you're going to get okay the second point I wanted to bring on to today uh, in this stripping out is the poor workmanship that you might perhaps find or the deteriorated materials. Now, poor workmanship in terms of a lot of buildings over the years, uh, were particularly you know after the war and stuff, buildings were thrown up quite quickly. Uh, often substandard often with not always the appropriate materials and people just got things to work they just put things together now that might be fine the building might have stood there for you know for 60 odd years but now you're altering it and you're altering uh, from an engineering point of view the low pass your your structural engineer might say no some of that old poor workmanship has got to go it's got to be changed now this can be typical things like old lintels so brick arch lintels uh, things like that where actually they just didn't quite work or, or I've actually seen timber floors which have a minimal bearing because the timber joists, the floor joists themselves, have to sit on the wall. But quite often they're a little bit short. That's because that's all they had available at the time. And they're just about perched on the end of a wall. Well, the fact that it stood there 60 years might, in some cases, not be justification enough. And actually they've all got to be extended or stripped out and replaced. So poor workmanship in very old buildings is quite commonplace. You can often find these issues there. And, and of course, hand in hand with that is the deteriorated materials. The workmanship might have been great at the time, but over the years, you know, the timber's gone rotten. I mean, timber will last many, many years unless it's had leaks and, and, and issues, you know, with the building being watertight. So rotten timber can be a real problem. I mean, the scheme of Ferrum, we had all the trusses up there, which were completely rotten, mm. all had to come out, uh, be replaced with a different solution. That actually gave us an advantage because we opened up the big roof volume, which we perhaps would have had the trusses in place, but, you know, had they not been rotten. So rotten timbers is a real issue. Cracked brickwork or cracked structural elements. So this gives you a real opportunity for your structural engineer to come in after it's stripped out and look at those movements of the building and determine what repairs have to or don't have to be done for it this is another thing that can really stop you 
on on the flow of a main contract because if the if the builder you know in the process of a single stage contract strips it out and finds a big crack in the floor or behind some plasterboard wall he's got to get a structural engineer down the structural engineer he or she might not be available for a couple of days they then turn up they've got to go back to their office they've got to come up with a design they've got to issue it the contractor's got to cost it the project manager's got to instruct it you can see how this can delay you mm but also going to cost you additional money. Absolutely. So stripping it out and giving the structural engineer plenty of time without pressure to work with the architect and the project manager and, and the contractor to reprice stuff uh, is is really, really useful. You know, you can get mortar crumbles over the years, lots of issues with that, lots of damp problems you get in old buildings. So maybe you've got to actually price in or, or, or actually design in some damp-proof detailing now, you know, trying to do that retrospectively is very difficult. You want to find the damp and try and deal with it. And, of course, the uh, the hazardous materials, you know, finding asbestos. You know, the Fairham project, although actually we did a strip out and we, we found some asbestos, actually we found more asbestos when we actually started working on it. So, you know, had we not even done a strip out, we'd have had an even bigger problem. The little bits that Absolutely. we did find we were able to cope with, with a, you know, it did cause us a little bit of additional cost, a little bit of program extension, but it was manageable. But had you not done a strip out at all, that would have really thrown us thrown us backwards. And I guess the principle here is that uh, irrespective of the state of the building underneath, whenever you go in, um, the building, it looks fine internally because, of course, people paper over the cracks, don't they? It looks fantastic from the inside. Yeah, literally. Bit of plasterboard, bit of wallpaper, bit of paint, and it all looks great. Uh, but hiding under there could be all sorts of nasties. Yeah, there is. And, and, and you know, you've got to expect them to be there. So the fact that you do a two-stage, you strip the building out, gives you a chance to see them. You've got the yeah. bare structure, you know, in all its glory and all of its problems. And as I say, it's pressure off of the team to deal with it because the great thing here is, uh, and we're going to talk about cost control in a minute, if you find some really bad deteriorated materials, let's find, say you find a whole floor which you expected to keep and all the timber's rotten, it's got to be replaced, and that's going to cost you an extra 10000 well, you've not even let the contract at this stage, not the main contract. So you've actually got a chance to alter the main contract yeah. to actually take £10,000 worth of value out. Maybe you downspec your kitchens a little bit because you're still trying to work within a budget. Yeah. But, of course, have you already started the main contract? You're contracted, you know, in there to do those kitchens at that size. Yes, you can go through it. You can renegotiate with the contractor, but you never get the same money back yep. as you would have done had you just priced the cheaper kitchens. It just doesn't work like that. So it really gives you a chance to control your project and control your overall budget. And another personal favourite is that we've got first-hand experience of is when you strip off uh, old wallpaper, and you think, "Well, this will be a this will be a nice." Um, our long job and then uh, off comes all of the plaster with it <laughs> absolutely yeah and i'm sure there's people out there listening to this who've done that in their own houses you uh, know if you bought an old victorian or 50s or 60s house and you strip out the uh, three or four layers of wallpaper and you think it's going to be a quick job you end up all the plaster coming off yeah. and having real real issues i mean my uh, my, my poor brother-in-law unfortunately down in the west country bought her an old victorian property completely refurbished uh, and I think he's still putting it back together because he started to do stuff and it just was falling apart. He had literally been papered over the cracks. The previous owner had, had, had tarted it up and, yeah. and, and sold it to him. So, um, yeah, okay. so poor workmanship and deteriorated materials really are, are, are something you want to discover and, and deal with. Okay. 
The third thing is scheme implications. Uh, now, we sort of started to touch on this, but, um, you know, w- what do I mean? Well, if, if you've actually got, uh, you know, false walls or false floors, maybe you've got some additional area, some additional space, some additional volume. You know, to the extent, actually, uh, you know, I have actually had a scheme before where we've got a whole additional floor in a building. You know, we've we had an old building. You know, you might think, well, how can you possibly do that? Well, we knew we had a sort of floor and a half height story, but it wasn't two stories. Mm. But actually, when we actually started going through the building, we actually found there was a false floor, and there was a you know this double floor arrangement with this big void, and it was just enough for us to actually take the one and a half to a two story. Wow! So we actually Big got difference. a whole additional floor in a building after we stripped it out. I'm not saying we couldn't have done that when actually the main builder got on site, but the thing is we were able to alter our design, all of our staircases, because you can imagine there's implications there and escape routes, all were fully thought out with plenty of time before we went out to tender for the main project. And, of course, the contractor that tendered it was familiar with it, and he actually did win that one. He was familiar with the fact that we'd found this additional floor and why we were putting it in. But trying to do that partway through a contract, when a contractor's on site and you have what's called preliminaries, all the, uh, the, you know, the site manager's costs, the site setup costs, all ticking away, quite often you just wouldn't take the advantage. you just let it run. So you know, doing that sometimes has real implications. The other nice thing is pulling out details. You know, you can sometimes find really nice bits of old brickwork behind plasterboard. Mm. It's a bit like the old fireplaces and, and expose them. Or some nice structural details, some nice old steel columns or beams that you think, yeah, we can use that. We'll use that in the design. And as we've talked about before, you know, on industrial conversions, exposing some nice industrial features, some nice brickwork is, is a real plus. It's oh, certainly going to help the value. It makes, it makes the place look unique, doesn't it, basically? Yeah, it does. So, you know, you've got real implications in, in finding these sort of things. The other issues, of course, you can get is is you're going to have maybe to change your scheme, either in a good or a bad way, because the low-bearing elements of the building that you'd assume, these are the bits that take the, the, you know, the actual load right the way down to the ground. The structure engineer might have assumed something, but when you come to strip it out, uh, they were wrong. Yes. You know, and that happens quite a lot because they're only making assumptions. Yep. When they strip it out, they actually say, oh, my, no, no, that w- what we thought was a low-bearing wall isn't, which case it could come out. That could be a great advantage to you. Or actually, the contrary to that is, you know, they assumed they could take a wall out, but they can't. It's yeah. got columns inside it or it is a low-bearing wall, and you again got to go back and alter your scheme. So, that you know, there can be good and bad there, but it's back to this sort of control element of the budget, which is which is really, really important. So, you know, all those sort of uh, issues of, of workmanship and the hidden details can affect your scheme. And the point here is doing a strip out contract gives you a chance to sit down with your team and, and quietly consider what those implications are, good or bad. And, and more often than not, they're really good implications. They get you additional monies, you know, get you additional features and details which can help Absolutely. the sellability of your unit. Uh, occasionally, and uh, you know, they're, they're, they're detrimental, but at least you can deal with it at that stage in a calm manner with your professional team. Your professional team have got a chance to rethink the scheme. And, you know, the professionals, you get the right people on board, the right architects, they can get around these problems. So a good architect, if he's suddenly told by the structural engineer that he can't move a wall that he thought he could move he reconfigures the space and, and and sort of squeezes the bathroom and the kitchen around a wall that he has to keep in place but of course they need time to do that yeah. they need time to scratch their head and think out the box a little bit so doing this as a strip out rather than in the middle of a contract is really really important okay 
So let's move on to on to cost control and, and the sort of fourth item here. Um, you know, you need contingency in any contract that we've always talked about. You always need contingency, uh, that, that sort of 10% to cover all these eventualities. But of course, um, you know, this could massively get eaten away in your contract if you only find these by not doing a strip out. So if you just start a contract and then suddenly you find rotten timbers, you know, infestation of timbers, dampness, bits of structure that, have, that can't come out and it has to be redesigned, your contingency could get eaten up straight away. Straight away, straight after the strip out. Yeah, and, and then you've got nowhere to go with anything else and that's a real, real problem. So the whole point of this in a nutshell in terms of cost control is, you know, you're doing this before you actually tender the main works and again you go back you can alter those main works to suit if you want to alter them you want to stop something you want to change your kitchen spec you want to downgrade that to bring it back into budget or indeed you've actually got better solutions so you actually can put a bit more money in the kitchen budget or whatever it might be you want to do that before you actually start the main contract so this is all about cost control you control the cost if you do a strip out two-stage process rather than just launching in and dealing with all the problems as you go along Okay, uh, so that's uh, that's cost control. Uh, what's here? What's the fifth one? Well, fifth and sort of final one, just for today, is program control. Goes hand in hand with cost because program is about time, and as we all know, time is money. So you know it's really important to control your program. And and you can see, I mean, most people are probably ahead of us here. They can see that if you have to stop partway through a main contract, that you're stripping the building out and you've got issues. Your contractors sat there. You know, they're sat there, they're twiddling their thumbs, they've got nothing to do, yet they're going to have to pay all their guys because they've contracted their guys to be there, they've got to pay for the porter cabins. You know, So the, the whole project is just getting extended. And of course, that then goes hand in hand with the money because you don't want to extend it because, as we know, quite often, you know, we set these contracts in place. You know, we're trying to hit a certain place in the market, particularly for a residential scheme. And if you suddenly get a whole load of delays, it could be that you had a residential scheme that you're going to drop into the market in October. And now because you didn't do a strip out contract and you found rotten timbers or you found bits of structure that have to stay and you've got to alter the scheme, your contract program gets pushed out and maybe you can't deliver the project till December. Well, the reality of that is you're probably not even going to sell them till February because yes. no one buys, uh, or not many people buy houses in December and January. Yep. The market slows up considerably. So suddenly you've got a massive program implication uh, which affects you know affects your money but also affects your ability to get your money back out and maybe onto your next project and reinvest. So program control... Uh, almost goes out the window if you don't do a strip-out contract on a refurbishment-type project. So really, really important that you do that. I mean, another one just to bring in, maybe just to finish on on this program control, is listed buildings. Uh, you know, if you are doing a listed mm. building project, uh, then the conservation officer is going to want to come out and see what you've got once you've stripped it out. They can stop you there and then, and, and, and because they haven't agreed details. You'll find often in your planning approval document, you know, it actually says, yeah, you've got planning, but there's a, there's a condition in there which is subject to agreeing all the details with the conservation officer. Well, if you've got to stop halfway through the main contract and wait to agree all the details with the conservation officer, who's not always readily available because they only work two days a week in that borough, yeah. and that's very, very common. That's going to slow you up. Of course, contrary to that, if you've done a strip-out contract, you've got time to walk around with the conservation officer, get the professional team to deal with the conservation officer, a bit of backwards and forwards, agree the details, and then you know when you've appointed the main contractor, he can just get on because all the details are approved. 
So just sort of sum up there, I, I know those sort of five points that I picked up on, you know, the hidden details, poor workmanship, all the deteriorated materials, the implications that it has for the scheme, and then, of course, finally, the cost and the program control implications that it has. Hopefully you can see that doing a two-stage contract with a strip-out you know, phase really, really does work. Absolutely. I think the biggest thing for me in that was that the fact that you don't actually know what you're dealing with until you've done the first stage. No. Uh, it could change your plans quite dramatically when you've exposed things that either give you a bigger opportunity or potentially are going to cost you more money, and then you need to rethink your, your strategy. Doing it in two stages gives you the breathing space to be able to, to kind of pivot and go in a different direction or to take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah. Richie, absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I'm afraid that's all we've got uh, time for in this episode. Join us again next time when we'll be giving you the inside track on uh, yet another part of the property world. In the meantime, please feel free to check out our other episodes and you can visit our website, which is at propertyceo.co.uk. But until next time, it's goodbye from us both. Goodbye. Goodbye.